We're reading from James this morning, a very short selection. In fact, as James opens, by the time he says, here's what this is about, here's who's writing it, and here's who it's for, we're already halfway there. So fasten your seatbelts, or at least stand to your feet, maybe, (laughs) and get ready to listen fast. I'm not going to speak fast, but I want you to listen that way. There's a key word in here in the last couple of verses. I think underscores everything in here. And if you find the letters S-E-V-E-R right in the middle, that's your clue. James 1, verse 1 through 4. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Now the section begins trials and temptations, but we're just taking a couple verses out of that section, and there's more to be studied. That's recommended reading for this afternoon. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, if S-E-V-E-R is in the middle of that, it should be pronounced perseverance. I'll buy that. (laughs) I've always liked the book of James. And I'll tell you why. I think James takes the theology that we see in some of the other New Testament writings and says, here's how you live it out. James, to me, is the rubber meets the road guy. And you'll see here, as um, Gail talked about those first, that first verse, James is addressing this to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. So what we call the diaspora has taken place. There's been this scattering of people because of the persecution, and now they're spread out through the known world at that time. And James is writing to them and saying... Here's what your faith looks like lived out. Alright? Make sense? Now, this is a good point to ask you something. Um, You know, I talked uh, a couple of weeks ago about this little tool you can use in your neighborhood. We called it 5555. Actually, I figured it could be 55555. Five fives. Um, we, yeah, let's make this as confusing as possible. Five people, all right, five minutes a day, five days a week, for five weeks. But, if you, but we also use the acrostic bless, B-L-E-S-S. That's five letters. So you could pray for five blessings in their lives, too, so we could make it five fives. Anyway, um... And I know, uh, I know some of you have taken that tool and are, are trying to put it to work. Do we have any reports this morning? I know it's early in the process, but any reports yet? We had, we had some in Sunday school this morning. That was encouraging. Yeah, Irene? 
Yeah. 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 Great. Yes, and that's the goal. Is we've got to build connections with our neighbors, don't we? Anyone else? I got to help my neighbor yesterday figure out his sprinkler system. His, he had one little zone where everything was green and the rest of his lawn was turning to crisp. So I helped him figure out why those other zones weren't working and I think we were successful. But I got to actually go in his house because that's where the clock was and, and I would really never met his um, significant other. Um, and they're planning on getting married one of these days, so that's good. And, but, you know, we're building deeper connections. And, and that's what it's, what it's about. Did you know, uh, you guys have all heard the expression, no pain, no gain? Did you know that's a biblical? It doesn't say it that exactly that way, but it's biblical. That's what James is talking about in the passage that Gail read for us today. No pain, no gain. Um, I heard about a man who was taking a test at college, and when he received the test back from his prof, he found out that his score was zero. And so he went to the professor to argue the point, to make a case, uh, that he should have a better grade. And he said, you know, I don't deserve a zero. And the prof said, well, you're right. But I didn't have a lower grade that I could give you. <laughs> um, when we are tested, God doesn't want us to get a zero. God wants us to pass the tests that come in our lives. Billy Graham said this once, Mountaintops are for views and inspirations, but fruit is grown in the valleys. And God takes us there sometimes because what Billy Graham said was what God knew about us already. We've got to spend some time in those tough places because we tend not to produce fruit unless we do. Um, I want to share uh, that passage of Scripture that Gail read for us this morning in the New Living Translation. Um, it, says, it says it this way, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of, the Lord, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the twelve tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Weird. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance or perseverance has an opportunity to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Wow! That's quite a statement, isn't it? So let's dive into this this morning and kind of break it down a little. First thing we need to understand, and I think this is something we'll probably already know already, but we're going to talk about it anyway, and that is this. Trials are a given. Anybody here who's never had one? Okay. 
Yeah, you're not breathing. That's right. At least they're over. Um, yeah, we've all been through them. Uh, we may be in some right now. Um, we may have more in store. Uh, they're part of life. And it's, it's not a matter if we have them, it's a matter of when. And so what are they? Well, the term is used to refer to afflictions and adversities that we face in life. And, and well, they, they're just part of life. They're just part of life. Um, they're, they're universal, they're, inev- they're inevitable, they're unavoidable. As much as we'd like to avoid them, they're unavoidable. And they come in all short, sorts of shapes and sizes. You know, we, some of the stuff we deal with may be in common. Some of the stuff we deal with is kind of unique to us in our circumstance in life. Um, an endless variety. You know, it could be physical problems, financial difficulties, relationship issues, problems at work, persecution because of your, because of your faith, and on and on and on. We shouldn't be surprised... If we're a student of the Scripture at all, we know that it tells us that life isn't always smooth sailing. Sometimes it's like this. The waters get pretty rough. Jesus said in John 16.33, and this is just a selection from that verse, in this world you will have trouble. And, in, and, Paul, and the Apostle Paul in Acts 14.22 said, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And Paul wrote to the the Romans in chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. This sounds a little bit like what James has written. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Paul says we're going to suffer. In First Peter 4.12, the Apostle Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. So trials, they're inevitable. We're going to experience them, aren't we? They're a given. The, the next thing we need to look at is, is the pattern of trials. You know, my, my trials may not be exactly the same as yours, but both yours and mine come in some basic categories. Okay? They may look different, but they kind of fall into some basic categories. First of all is this. Some testings or trials come from God. And we know there's scriptural evidence for that. Um, you know, it, when, um, when a new airplane is developed, when a new car is designed and developed, they take them through a series of trials and tests to make sure that they function in the way that they intend for them to function. They want to see if it's going to work like it's supposed to. Do you suppose maybe God wants to see if we're going to function the way we're supposed to? Deuteronomy 
chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to our forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Are you functioning the way you're supposed to? Whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God tested them in the desert to see if they would function in the way they were supposed to. Would they be obedient to His commands? Would they trust in Him for all things? So God... God, temp, God tests us. And then we know that some testings and all temptations come from Satan. James 1.13 When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. So let's get that straight right now. Okay? But God does allow Satan to take us through trials. Well, He allows God, to, Satan to tempt us too, but He does allow us, uh, Satan to take us through trials. Job is a case in point, remember? You know, Satan had been wandering about and he comes before God and says, uh, Hey, how, how, how about your man Job down here? I'm telling you, if he had to deal with some tough stuff, he would throw you overboard like a hot rock. That's my paraphrase. And so God allowed Satan to bring some pretty severe testing into Job's life, didn't he? Jesus was tempted by Satan. Jesus was tempted by Satan. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. And do you remember what Paul said about that? What did that cause Paul to say about his life? Do you remember? My grace is sufficient for you. It taught him a dependence on God that he might not have known in some other way because he had to deal with this thorn in the flesh. Whatever that was, we're really not sure. And then in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, it says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Who do you think brings that? Yeah, listen, it's been Satan's goal from the beginning to destroy God's people, to destroy mankind, but especially to destroy God's people. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we don't have to wonder where this stuff originates, do we? Not in cases like this. And then, um, there are some things we suffer due to our own sinful choices. 
Shouldn't have done that. And you know, we have a tendency, we have a tendency in times like that to kind of moan and groan to God. Oh God, how could you let this happen to me? We do that, don't we? The problem is that it's a natural consequence of the choice we've made. God told us, there are some things you just shouldn't do. And God didn't do that to wreck our fun or to put us in some sort of straight jacket. God said don't do these things because He knew there would be consequences if you did do them. And yet we have a tendency sometimes to do these things and then when we suffer in our lives because of them, we look to God and say, oh, how could you do this to me? So sometimes we suffer because of our own sinful choices. And then, folks, let's just face it. There are some things that we deal with, some things we suffer because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. John 16.33, again going back to what Jesus said, and I just took a portion of that scripture earlier. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world where you you will have trouble, but in me you can have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So those those are some of the categories, some of the reasons, if you want to package them that way, that that we have to deal with trials that we suffer. Now let's talk about the, pro- the trials, uh, the power of trials. The power of trials. Um, if we're suffering for the right reasons because God has allowed this thing into our lives or because it's Satan coming against us, these trials have the potential to do some great things in our lives. The testings we endure have the power to produce positive results. Hebrews 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Oh, it's a training process. It's like the coach. I didn't play football, so I didn't do bear crawls or any of that kind of stuff. But it's the coach saying, go out and run ten miles today. Ten miles, coach, come on. But it comes in pretty handy when you have to run a 10K race later, right? I mean, running ten miles, especially for some people, is unthinkable. It's beyond suffering. <laughs> but it's, it's one of those painful things that you go through, and it's a training process. And, and God uses these difficulties in our lives as a training process to produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those of us who've been trained by the suffering, the trials, the difficulties that we faced in our lives. Our passage today says that trials have the power to produce in us perseverance, maturity, and completeness. Perseverance, 
maturity, and completeness. So God obviously has a purpose for doing these things. And listen, when we talk about um, maturity, well, all three of these things, perseverance, maturity, and completeness, we're talking about looking like Jesus. Was Jesus mature? Did He persevere? Was He complete? There's never been a more complete person in all of history than Jesus Christ. And God says, I want you to look like my son, Jesus. And so to get you there, I'm going to take you through some tough stuff. Did Jesus go through some tough stuff? Sure he did. In Romans 5, that I read earlier, it says that our trials can produce perseverance, character. Again, there's that perseverance thing, enduring, enduring. Character, we're talking about Christ-likeness. And beyond that, this one says hope. We have hope. We always have hope in God. We have hope of God to work in us through this and hope in God to maybe get us beyond this thing. And we have hope in eternity. Don't we? Because we know that someday there won't be any more trials and testings and temptation and suffering and owies in our lives, will there? Isn't that God's promise to us? No more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more parting. All of those things that we will enjoy in heaven someday. So our suffering on earth gives us hope for what's beyond what we're dealing with here. And besides that, it helps us to endure, it teaches us to endure, it molds us into the character of the Christ, uh, of, into the Christ-likeness that God wants in all of our lives. But you know what? It all depends on the attitude we take in the trials we face. You know, James says they're cause for joy. Paul says we are to glory in them. What? But again, it's we're not some kind of masochistic person that says, well, bring on the pain because I just love it. Make me hurt. That's not what this is about. What they're saying when they talk about glorying in, in the sufferings and taking joy is we know what the positive results of these things can be in our lives as God takes us through those things to the other side. And it's the very things we've just talked about. Maturity, completeness, perseverance, hope, Christ-likeness in our lives. You know, I guess it's one of the unfortunate things about the human condition that that's the way we learn best. You know, when uh, the screws have been turned down, when the pressure's on, you know, when your head's in a vice. Huh? Okay, okay, I'm listening. God has a uh, this really good way of getting our attention when we're going to just think about just think about how you tend to seek God when the pressure's on and how we tend not to seek God when everything is smooth sailing right that's me that's me Here's, here's kind of the other side of that coin, though. 
Trials have the potential to produce negative things as well. What's our attitude? They can produce anger, bitterness, hate, resentment, unforgiveness. God, how did you do this to me? I thought you were love. This is love. I'm not willing to leave you where you are right now. I want you to grow. And the only way it happens is in the pressure cooker. So our attitude, our faith in God and what He's doing in our lives impact how we respond to the trials that we have to deal with. And they can't. we can take joy and we can glory in them because they can have such positive results in our lives. Or we can react negatively with anger and hatred and unforgiveness and bitterness. It's our choice. Do we believe God? Do we trust Him? And then here's some things next that we need to perceive about trials. And the first one is this, and I've already talked about it. God wants us to pass the test. It's God's will that we be victorious. He, don't, he doesn't want you to be defeated by these things. God wants us to be victorious. God is not hoping we fail. He's not trying to undermine our faith. In fact, He's doing just the opposite. He's trying to build our faith through the things that we go through in life that are so difficult for us. He's thinking... He's seeking to strengthen the faith that we already have. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So be truly glad there's a wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. By the way, that's the hope beyond. These trials are only to test your faith to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world when He comes back again. It pays off. That's what he's saying. And then something else we need to understand here. Um, Well, two things that kind of meld together here. Number one, because you face difficulties doesn't mean you did something wrong. And there's this idea, well, God must be punishing me. Maybe just the opposite. He may be building you. And the other thing, uh, it's not a sin to go through trials and temptations. Alright? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the face we profess, and I would add, even when things are tough. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Oh, Jesus was tempted. That's right. In every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So, it wasn't a sin to be tempted, and he didn't yield, so he never sinned. It's not a sin to be tempted or tried. In fact, it's part of the growth process in our lives that God uses. And then, it's not a sin to question either. It's not a sin to question. It's pretty natural to question. Why me? Why this? How come now? Let me give you example, some scriptural examples of people who question God. Job questioned God. If I was Job, I would have questioned God. Job 7.20 If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything we do. Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Job 13.24 Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Think Job had some questions? Job 21.7 We still ask this one. Well, not that we don't ask the other. Why did the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? How come the other guy, how come the bad guys win? That's what he's saying. How come the bad guys win? And then the psalmist had some questions too. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And then we know that was a a messianic prophecy as well. Psalm 44, 24. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? You don't even care. Psalm 74, 1. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? And just in case we think the prophets didn't do it, they did. Jeremiah 12, verse 1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case to you, yet I would speak to you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? That statement's about as applicable as everybody does it, huh? But that's what it looks like sometimes when you're in the midst. Wait! God, I'm trying to do all the right things and look what I'm going through. And this guy over here who you're not even on his mind, he's living the good life. What's up with that? Right? So, we, it's okay to ask questions. God can deal with that. And then, the next thing we need to understand is the payoff of trials. We've, we've made reference to that already. There is a payoff. 
See, James says the testing of your faith is for your joy. That's one of those, you know, like uh, those things that seem incongruous that God says, like, you know, uh, the last shall be first. How's that work? The testing of your faith, the trials you go through are for your joy. What? So, we need, first of all, we need to be careful to understand what James is, is calling for here. Um, he's not suggesting some kind of masochistic happiness in the hurts of life. Um, he's not saying that we're to enjoy being sick or losing a loved one or getting laid off from work or being persecuted for our faith. It's not some kind of weird denial that... Life hurts, because we know it does. Some of us are hurting right now today. We're suffering. And and James is not suggesting here that we manufacture some kind of otherworldly, phony sense of happiness about our troubles. That's not what he's saying. So what what is he suggesting Well, there's a reason to be joyful in the midst of trials. And it's not being happy about the trouble itself. It's finding joy in what that trouble can produce in our lives. It's enjoying the sweet fruit that's only produced in bitter times. And he's told us what it is, hasn't he? And so did Paul. Perseverance, hope, maturity, completeness. Let's just wrap it up in saying this, Christ-likeness. That's God's intent. Here's a parable of endurance. It seems that an old dog fell into a farmer's well. After considering the situation, the farmer decided that neither neither the dog nor the well were worth saving. So he decided to bury the old dog and put him out of his misery. When the farmer began shoveling, the dog was hysterical. But the farmer kept on shoveling in the dirt, and as the dirt hit his back, a thought struck the old dog. Each time a shovel of dirt hit his back, the dog would shake it off and take a step up. So blow after blow, the dog would shake it off and step up. No matter how painful those shovels full of dirt were, the old dog fought panic. He just kept shaking it off and stepping up. Finally, the dog, battered and exhausted, stepped triumphantly over the wall of the well. What he thought would bury him actually benefited him because of the way he handled his adversity. Perseverance, and that's one of the things that were promised here, is the ability to shake it off and step up when when a load of trials is dumped on you. And it's for our character. We're to be mature and we're to be complete. The Greek word here for mature or complete is one word. It's teleon. It speaks of something that has reached its intended end. God has an intended end for us. 
Here it refers to the maturity that perseverance produces. Ultimately, the testing we face is about producing Christ-like character in us. Yeah, and all the people said, Amen. <laughs> and then the, the testing of our faith is for our preparedness. It says, lacking nothing. Oh, it's not, it's not a blank to fill in. I know. Okay. The testing of your faith is for your preparedness. You just have to write this down, honey. Lacking nothing, prepared to live the Christian life, prepared to endure, persevering through whatever comes our way. God is preparing us. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11 through 11, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly love, kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. See that progression? For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive the rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And those things are developed through suffering. Every one of them. John Eldridge tells the story of a Scottish discus thrower from the 19th century. He lived in the days before professional trainers and developed his skills alone in the highlands. Gary's chest just puffed up a little bit over there. He made his own discus from the description he read in a book. What he didn't know was that, that a competition discus is made of wood with a metal ring. His discus was made of pure metal. Four times heavier than the ones that would be used by his would-be challengers. This committed Scotsman trained day after day, laboring under the burden of extra weight. He marked the, the record distance and kept working until he could throw that far. Of course, when he arrived at the competition, he was handed the official wooden discus. He threw it like a tea saucer. He set new records, and for many years, none of his competitors could touch him. And the moral of the story, Eldridge says, so that's how you do it. You train under a great burden. Hmm. God knows we need to train at times under a burden, don't we? Some of us here today are training under a burden. It hurts. It's unpleasant. Sometimes we despair. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we're angry. But we must always take heart. We must always have a deep sense of joy. Why? 
Because that burden is producing perseverance. And perseverance is producing maturity. And then maturity will lead us to completeness. And none of these virtues so prized by God would ever be ours without a burden, without trials, without testings. Amen? Would those who will be serving communion today uh, prepare and gentlemen, as soon as you're ready, you can begin distributing.